We're in John chapter 19. Open your Bibles, if you would, to John 19. And we are continuing where we left off last week with uh, the interviews between Jesus and Pilate. Last week, we heard the mocking cry of Pilate's soldiers as they greeted Jesus. Hail to the king, they said. John put on display for us last week the glory of Jesus, the king of the Jews. Jesus is the sovereign king, the king whose authority comes not from this world and not from the kingdoms of this world, but the king whose authority comes from heaven itself. But as John tells this story of Jesus and Pilate, this trial before the Roman leader, letting us listen to this back and forth between Pilate and Jesus and between Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders, John wants us to see not only Jesus as king of the Jews, John wants us to see Jesus as God himself. Our text this morning is John 19, verses 4 to 16. Follow along as I read. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered the headquarters again, said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement. And in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to be crucified. This morning in our text, Jesus is presented by Pilate to you and to me, both as God and King. Behold your King, Pilate said. But daily, we face the conflict of the Jews, the conflict in our own hearts, to reject Jesus as God and King, and instead to bow before a false God and a false King of our own making. In our text this morning, we see not only the glory of Jesus as God himself, but we're confronted with how rebellion against this Jesus 
drives us to irrational sin. In the big picture, stepping back a couple of feet from the text, looking at the whole story as it's playing out, John describes the meeting between Jesus and Pilate. And John tells us of two interviews between Jesus and Pilate. Each interviewed, in, interview followed by a presentation of Jesus before the religious leaders, before the Jews. Last week we saw in the first interview between Jesus and Pilate, Jesus revealed as king of the Jews, which is an astounding claim of authority. But when Pilate presents Jesus to the Jews as king, the Jews reject Jesus as king. And Pilate's soldiers defiled the king of the Jews. And yet, Pilate still considers Jesus to be innocent. We get the picture that if it were up to Pilate, Jesus would have been freed. And yet, this raucous crowd of religious leaders will have none of it. They demand that Pilate free to them Barabbas, a criminal, rather than Jesus, the king of the Jews. And so this is where we're picking up now in verses 4 to 11. I know we just read it, but once more, follow along. Pilate went out again to them and said, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So this is the first presentation. I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So now we have the second interview. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority at all over me uh, uh, at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So in these verses, Jesus is first declared to be innocent and he's presented for his freedom. Pilate is presenting Jesus in this way after the beating He's presenting Jesus in an intentionally pathetic way for the Jews. Jesus has been disgraced. He has been beaten. Would the Jews be willing to be done with this whole matter and just free this man? Behold the man. Behold the man who you are accusing as an evildoer and the king of the Jews. Behold the man who has spoken truth to power. Behold the man who rules over this world with an authority that is established in heaven. Behold the man who has performed sign after sign after sign, demonstrating that he is the coming one. He is the Messiah. Behold the man who is going to die so that the nation might live. This sight of a disgraced and a beaten Jesus does nothing to appease this enraged crowd. The chief priests and the officers are absolutely committed to the destruction of this man. They demand capital punishment despite the declaration of innocence. Their demands are signs of an irrational hate. And that irrational hate will only grow as this fateful morning progresses. 
Pilate, frankly, seems fed up with them, and he tells them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Now, in saying this, he's not actually promoting his crucifixion. They can't crucify him. That's kind of the point. They don't have that authority. He's just trying to wipe his hands clean of the whole thing. Pilate is not going to involve himself in this matter, and if he is not involved, then it's not going to happen. It seems as though the Jewish religious leaders see the opportunity to destroy Jesus slipping away through Pilate's disdaining fingers. So they respond by clarifying their accusation against Jesus. Jesus has made himself out to be the Son of God. This is the religious issue below the political issue. In fact, the issue was never actually political at all. The issue was always a religious issue, a theological issue. And all of a sudden now, that truth is put on display. This man says he's the son of God. Pilate is startled. He's even scared by this news. To say Jesus is a political imposter is one thing. Clearly, this pathetic and beaten man poses no threat to the Roman political structure. But to claim to be a god? Now that's something different entirely. The Roman myths spoke of gods walking among men. Could it be happening again? So Pilate returns to interrogate Jesus. Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You can imagine being in Pilate's shoes at this point. You think you're in complete control of the situation, and then it turns out that you might actually be completely helpless. You try to exercise whatever control you think you still have, and it just doesn't work. Pilate seems to be growing frantic. Jesus refuses to bow before Pilate's self-assured sense of authority. And so Pilate tries to remind Jesus of his place. Do you not know that I have authority to release you or authority to crucify you? Jesus, I hold your life in my hands. I decide your fate. Jesus, you who claim to be the Son of God, look around. I am in control. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever looked around your home, your workplace, your life, and thought, to borrow the line from the train man, down here I make the rules, down here I'm God? Throughout our text this morning, John brings us face to face with these worldly responses to Jesus. And at times we find these worldly responses even in our own hearts and our own lips. It's so common for us to look around ourselves at the world that we have created around us, the world that we have built up around us, and to say with hubris and pride, down here I'm God, down here I'm the one who's in authority. What is the divine answer to such hubris? You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. 
Would you exalt yourself with your ideas of your own self-worth? Jesus has a word for you. Whatever authority you have was given to you from above. These words connect in an important way to the things that Jesus has already said to Pilate in words that he spoke to Nicodemus a long time ago. To Pilate, Jesus said in chapter 18 and verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus is not from here. His kingdom is not from this world. And whatever authority Pilate so arrogantly flaunts before Jesus does not come from Pilate, but was given to him from above. In other words, Jesus, the king of the Jews, represents the authority from which Pilate's authority derives. Pilate's authority depends on Jesus and Jesus' kingdom. Jesus had said to Nicodemus a long time earlier, chapter 3 and verse number 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you must be born again. That word could be translated, you must be born from above. It's in fact the same word that Jesus uses here to indicate his authority from above. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus is above, and it is the source of Pilate's authority. This is a reality check for worldly pride. When you hear your mouth boasting in arrogance of your authority and your control, remind your soul that whatever authority you have is from above. Whatever control you think you have on your life is dependent on God above. You are not God down here. You are not in control. And God has the right to bring your kingdom to the ground whenever he pleases. Not only is God in control over you, but you will give an account to this God for your actions. Notice Jesus' final words recorded before the crucifixion. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And when we think of who delivered Jesus over to Pilate, our first thought often goes to Judas the betrayer. Judas hasn't really been on the scene since the early parts of chapter 18. More recently, it was the high priest Caiaphas, who was in fact the motivation behind this betrayal in the first place, the motivation behind the arrest and the murder of Jesus ever since chapter 11. This is who delivered Jesus to Pilate. And since God is sovereign and since all authority comes from God, the high priest who turned Jesus over to Pilate stands guilty of the greater sin. Here's the point. If God is sovereign and God is in control, then men will give an account for their actions to that God. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has been accused of being the Son of God, the one who comes from above, 
the one who is sovereign over all things. He is the one who will judge the hearts of all men. And since he is the one who gives authority, it is to him that we will give an account. Imagine standing before Jesus and hearing these words. Jesus is making it very clear that he is indeed the Son of God. He is speaking to Pilate with divine authority, authority to which Pilate will one day give an account. These words can only be true. They're coming from a man who is beaten, wearing a mocking crown of thorns and a ridiculous purple robe. And yet these words are not the insane rants of a madman. They're not the ragings of a man who is out of his mind. They're the calm, calculated words of the Son of God, reminding a mere mortal man of who in fact has the authority at this moment in time. Jesus is the Son of God and the King of the Jews. There is no other rational explanation for this scene. And since Jesus is the Son of God and the King of the Jews, you and I must bow our knees to him and keep our knees bowed. When we feel that, that temptation to, to pride and to hubris, when we imagine that we are God down here, when we are in control, our children, our employees, our spouse, they'd all better submit to our authority, Jesus has a word for us. You have no authority at all except what was given to you from above. And since it was given to you from above, you will give an account for how you use that authority. John is showing us the glory of Jesus as the Son of God. And if we see Jesus as the Son of God, his authority must affect the way we live our lives. We must submit ourselves to him. But there is this temptation in our souls to rebel against the authority of Jesus when he confronts us with it. And this is what we see here at the climax of the trial before us. Jesus has gone through this illegal trial before Annas. Caiaphas turned Jesus over to Pilate. And Jesus has now gone to two back and forths between the Jewish religious leaders and Pilate. In the first go-round, Jesus was demonstrated to be king of the Jews. Pilate was convinced he wants to free Jesus, but the Jews would have none of it. They accused Jesus not only of being king of the Jews, but of being the son of God. So Pilate again interrogates Jesus and is convinced that Jesus is at least an innocent man if he isn't who he claims he is. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down in the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Arabic, Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. 
Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. John's focus in this part of the story is on the radical irrationality of the Jewish rebellion. It is as though this response of the Jews, through this response of the Jews, we get a glimpse into the depravity of our own rebellious souls. Consider the words of the Jewish leaders. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, since when are the Jewish authorities the authority on friendship with Caesar? Certainly, these rulers, these religious rulers, are no political fools. They understand the politics of the world they live in. And yet, they are not the friends of Caesar. The Jews have famously been at odds with the Roman rulers ever since the Romans defeated the Greeks centuries earlier. The Romans tolerate the Jews. They permit the Jews a certain measure of religious freedom as long as they maintain the peace. And yet, the Jews are hardly in a position to counsel Pilate on politics. But here, the Jewish leaders are, for the sake of expediency, advising Pilate on how to be a good Roman. For the sake of getting what they want, the Jews are willing to make arguments they don't even believe in. They are willing to lie and misrepresent the truth just to accomplish their ends. As I think about how John represents the Jewish religious leaders, I can't help but to remember the text that we read this morning that Luke read for us in 1 John, the description of worldliness that John gives us in 1 John 2. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. These Jewish religious leaders are being absolutely dominated by the desires of the flesh, the passion for power and for authority, the hatred of a man who is undermining their position. They know full well Jesus poses no immediate threat to Caesar. And truth be told, if Jesus had been friendlier to the Sanhedrin's cause, the Jews would have been much more supportive of a subversive political agenda. They themselves are no friends of Caesar and Rome. But the ambitions of the Jewish religious leaders are not the only ambitions whose Jesus' authority threatens. Jesus, thre Jesus threatens your ambitions and mine as well. And your soul can sense that threat. Your soul loves things it ought not love. You value things you ought not value. You value your own will. You value your own way of doing things. You value the things you can see instead of the things that you cannot see. You value things that don't belong to you. And when you perceive 
that the authority of Jesus threatens these disordered loves in your soul, you will find that you are willing to make shocking compromises in order to do what your flesh wants to do. You know what I'm talking about? Have you felt that pull in your own soul as I have? You know Jesus is right. You know he's the authority. Your conscience plays the role of Pilate, sitting on the judgment seat and proclaiming, Behold your king. You see that Jesus is calling you to obedience, to surrender, to submission. And yet with the same defiance as the religious leaders, you call out, I have no king except Caesar. You justify your disobedience and your rebellion with the most absurd of confessions. Do you hear these words? Look look again at verse number 15. The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Do you hear how scandalous and treacherous those words are? Do you hear how these words betray the very religion that these high priests claim to represent? Do you see that you can utter the same betrayal as you reject God's will for you and instead pursue your own passions and your own desires? Brothers and sisters, the betrayal of the religious leaders is in fact a betrayal that may inhabit our own souls. The rebellion in the high priests and the officers is a rebellion that tempts your soul. You are not immune to this battle with the flesh simply because you confess to be a Christian. Your faith grants you, through the Holy Spirit, the sword and the shield necessary to defeat this rebellion in your soul. But you still live in the flesh. You are still capable of transgression. So what's the solution? How do you do war against these temptations? The temptation to pursue your own desires, your own passions, and your own self-will. How do you war against this defiant proclamation, I have no king but Caesar? John has been telling us all along. He's been showing us all along. It's simple. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus as the Messiah, as the King of the Jews, and as God himself. Pilate has heard this accusation that Jesus made himself out to be the Son of God. Pilate has come to this conviction at some level Jesus has to at least be innocent. Pilate brings Jesus out for you to see. Behold your king. Pilate says to the crowds, behold the man. Brothers and sisters, behold your king. Look to him. Look past the the, the mocking crown of thorns. Look, Look past that ridiculous purple robe And see him as the sovereign God of the universe. See him as the sovereign Messiah. See him as the king of the Jews and the witness to the truth. See him as the authority of God himself. Choose to trust him. 
Choose to value him more than you value your own ways, more than you love your own passions and desires and the world and the flesh, more than you love yourself. Jesus went to the cross, not merely to take you to heaven when you die, but to give you eternal life, a life that that sees him and that values him above all else, a life that knows him, a life that is seeing, a life that is knowing, a life that is valuing. And that kind of life silences this rebellious call, we have no king but Caesar. And instead it replaces it with a humble confession, Jesus, my Lord and my God. Father, thank you for your word.